You are listening to The Think Tank, the unofficial NAFO podcast, brought to you by your best brain-damaged dogs and friends. Now please welcome your hosts, Matt, the TWAFO CEO, and Joe Place. Hello and welcome to the Think Tank, the podcast where we think about tanks. No, we don't do that. <laughs> we talk to our various uh, NAFO members and friends who are very interesting experiences or expertise in various topics related to Ukraine and beyond. Really, um, the scope of this podcast has not quite been established and will change with time, I suppose. But so this episode is a little bit different to the last one where we talked about Georgia and NAFO. We are talking more about a political topic to do with uh, the left in the UK and the West in general. And before I, we introduce a guest, let's also hear from our other co-hosts, Matt. Hi, how are you doing? I, I would say that this is probably one of my favourite subjects and we're lucky that we've got jack on because he knows a lot about this and it's it, in europe and the uk it's really important that we discuss this um because it has a, quite a big impact on support for ukraine uh not quite so much in america but it's a very important subject and i'm really pleased that we can talk about it today so our honored guest of this podcast please introduce yourself uh hello i'm jack and uh I'm so grateful to be here. I started off basically my journey on the left when I was 18, I would say. I didn't really know much about it other than, oh, Labour good, Tory bad. That's what I was always supposed to believe. Over time, I would say my views have developed where it's definitely liberal left and seeing the response from so many leftists towards Ukraine supporting them and there is of course the vocal minority that don't and i'm sure we'll get into that but seeing the majority support ukraine really does fill me with pride that our movement is going in the right direction it's just we have a few people lagging behind and just want to say a little bit about what you do in general in life who you are (laughs) of course yeah uh well i mainly tend to write article pieces personally myself i write a lot for center think tank uh, which is a different think tank but we don't think about tanks um i also write for bylines cymru on how wales is developing as a, as a country and where we're going in terms of uh social rights and economic rights there's nothing overly exciting about what i do outside of nafo it's mainly just normal nine to five job but uh, within NIFO, it's mainly trying to organise people to keep them aware of what's going on with people like George Galloway, what events are going on. And of course, there was the great campaign we led not too long ago where we were able to bring two of 
George Galloway's events down, which I always hold as a special place in my heart and a little bit of pride. That that was a good achievement, definitely. That's that's one of the highlights, I think, <laughs> for me is. I mean, <clears throat> oh, go on. It, I I just think it's it's brought so many people together, seeing so many different people with different views coming together, and I'll tie this back to the my sort of monologue bit in in the first episode where you get a diverse views coming in and that, that helps the movement grow because we, we we did start off with just a lot of soldiers um military people and just seeing so many other people coming in it's just been brilliant and it's a pleasure to talk to you today jack and george complaining about us is utterly brilliant i will always remember that it's kind of like it's a bit like the ambassador ulanov moment is it ulanov i don't know how to say his name yeah, but um, yeah. it's kind of that moment like he had that line uh you pronounce this nonsense not me um with george it's the dogs of war so i just always constantly just think back and be like if you were trying your best to undermine this calling us the dogs of war didn't help <laughs> every time someone does this it's brilliant we used to steal it straight away and use it like nafal and all this stuff, it, uh, it's just, it becomes a badge of honour. You just can't, you can't do anything about it. It's so funny. Uh, we definitely need a NAFO t-shirt with the, if we're going to talk about memes and things later on, but there's one where George is just crying with his dumb hat. And <laughs> we just need that on a t-shirt with a dog hitting him on the head with a stick. I do want to just add before we move on that if anyone listening is like, okay, but I'm not on the left or I don't really care about the left or whatever, or, you know, you're not Western. I think there is going to be value in this discussion for you because, first of all, it's about political movements in general. It's about how you can support Ukraine, finding ways to reach out possibly across the aisle and generally trying to also get through the noise, the vocal minorities. This will apply, I think, to the right in some other countries. I think that there's a lot of lessons here generally. So, you know, don't, don't think that it's just some like pinko socialist podcast that we're trying to indoctrinate you or whatever, you know. Uh, we, we are a diverse movement and we understand that, so. Yeah, I mean, I to uh, this, this week I found that we have quite a high ranking member of the where he was on the libertarian party in the u.s and um, he's forming an, another party because of the um infiltration by the mises caucus but he's a fella i think he's setting oh. up the keystone party um but it, it it just it just reminds me that we go from the left to the right to the libertarians mm. uh kevin gorgon gowan at gu G-A-U-G-H-E-N. So, but seeing him there, that's, I know, I know we're doing it right. And so I'll say uh, hello to him as well. Yeah, I think that we could also have a discussion. I think especially in America that, uh, that this could be an interesting thing. And I do want to have future episodes where I, I talk to sort of people in the Ukrainian left and also perhaps their libertarian movements and things like this and see where they are, because there's a lot of uh, interesting topics there. Uh, but I'll come to the Ukrainian left a little bit later. Okay, so we've introduced each other now. So let's just have the first topic. So today is where we're recording. I don't know what day this will be released. Uh, it's the 24th of February. Obviously, this is a, a big day because it's the anniversary of the full-scale invasion. There are a lot of mixed emotions in myself today. Um, the year has been crazy. As I've posted today, it feels like it's it's been forever. But also, 
five minutes. I can't really comprehend that. And I still can't really believe I'm sat here on this day having this conversation when a year ago I was doom scrolling in bed trying to call the home office to sort out a visa for my wife and just worrying what the hell is going on and trying to filter through all the disinformation. It was it was a crazy few days, those early days of the war. And it's just it's an interesting time. Uh, my question, I guess, to both of you, Matt and Jack, is: uh, Did you remember that day? What was your experience on that day, Matt? Do you want to go first? I'll go. It's the, the, the seeing the um, planes, not the planes, the helicopters flying over the lake, and then the Ukrainian soldiers jumping out from behind a hedge and basically blasting them to smithereens over the lake, and. And then hearing about the airport and things like that. And then, <clears throat> so from that sort of brief introduction from knowing nothing to seeing these guys do this with basically hand-me-downs from, from Britain, these mis disposable missiles, and you just think, Russia's lost already. <laughs> so from that morning, I thought, this is, they've lost. They've already lost because they just look absolutely ridiculous. And the, the bravery on that on those first few days was just absolutely, it I couldn't believe it. So hats off to those guys because it was amazing. I'll be completely honest with you. Um, my first memory was it, it would have really been the broadcast from uh, from Russia saying you know the special military operation is taking mm -hmm. place, and I was definitely one of the people who in the very beginning. Um, this is going to sound quite cowardly, but I, I, well, maybe not cowardly, but we'll see. Uh, in the very beginning, I was terrified because of the fact that I didn't know anything about the situation. I was so un uneducated. And that's the thing. It's why I love NAFO, but I'll get to that. It's because when I first saw everything kick off, my first instinct was, oh my God, is this going to be World War Three? Oh my God, are we going to be killed um and it was very selfish thinking really because it was all about like oh my goodness how are we going to be impacted and it was only until i took a step back and i was like right let me read on what is happening here it was like oh my goodness yes okay i have to support ukraine because if we don't it's going to be the eradication of an entire people and it's going to be an eradication of you know, their culture, their democracy, everything. Um, that was my first foray into this entire thing because of the fact that I, up until that point, I had definitely been one of the happy-go-lucky, blissfully ignorant people that always sort of saw it as, oh, this is a terrible thing that's happening, but it's... Yeah, we'll give them support, but it's not our problem. And I'm embarrassed by that, definitely. But I think a lot of people would have come from that perspective who maybe didn't have as close connections to the situation as others. Like yourself, Joe, you were saying about the wife. I think for me, yeah, that was the first, that was not only my first interaction, but it was also the eye-opener of like, oh my goodness, this is not this is not a time to think so selfishly. This is a time to think, how can I help Ukraine? That's a really good story. It's like I it's, I think a lot of people, like you said, had this experience of 
understanding that it, it is something that will affect that it sorry does and will and could and <laughs> all those words uh, affect way beyond just Ukraine. It is something that affects us in the West. It, um, and actually, not just in the West, actually, it has effects in Africa, it has effects in Asia, it has effects for everyone. Um, and but I think this is actually something important. And this is why it ties nicely into the fact, you know, that NAFO is important, because if you're someone that doesn't know a lot and you're going on the Internet to learn, it's quite hard to sometimes sift through uh, what is propaganda, what is truth. And I think this is a bit of a problem with the left as they, they form into certain archetypes and how they think and it undermines their ability to find solidarity in what should be something most people on the uh, the left should support but yeah okay before we get into the topic of NAFO let's just it's, you said about the speech and I think this is interesting because Putin had his big speech the other day and I think quite a lot of us were worried what would he announce this time and it was just nothing and you have you seen that photo of like all the different guys trying to stay awake I just I, like, imagine having to listen to like an hour or two of Putin. Just... I have, and I absolutely love the fact that Medvedev was in the front row <laughs> trying to stay awake because he's always so vocal on Twitter. So to call him out on that is hilarious. But on the speech itself, it was nothing but vitriolic, uh, this disgusting transphobic, homophobic rhetoric. And I think as much as we've seen that Russia definitely tries to send those messages to the West and they try to push the idea that the West is this degenerative part of the world, for Putin to make that the crux of his speech days before the first anniversary of the Russian of the yeah the Russian invasion of Ukraine, it was pathetic on his part because it shows he's got nothing to, to quote Ian Beale from EastEnders. He's got nothing left. It was more what he didn't say, wasn't it, than what he did. Mm -hmm. he, if you if you look on Twitter before, it was people going, oh, you know, it's going to be the big thing. It's going to be amazing. You know, he's going to launch. It it, it was it was the traditional. Um, We've, we haven't started yet. Wait till we get started. Then, then it'll be, we'll, we'll certainly sort it out and we're going to, everything will be fine. And it was, there was nothing, absolutely nothing. And how do they, how can you spin that? You, you can't. It was, it was, it was, a, I think it was a humiliation. And I, I just wonder if there's anything going on in the background with China. I don't know. Mm. Perhaps there, mm. because he didn't, there was, there's not been any, major offensive that was you know we were we were being told oh there's going to be a huge offensive blah 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 where where is that where is that you know um belarus they were going to invade from there nothing has happened there are we, are we is what we're seeing now is that the big offensive and if that is then really is that what it is now how do people how do people and how do we how do these ukraines say stop people from seeing this just sort of stagnating and becoming um, just trench warfare that dissipates or stagnates and you have to keep people going. You have to explain to people that, you know, there are no bio labs and Donbass wasn't a civil war and Crimea is Ukraine. And it's that sort of messaging that we need to get over to people on the left in the UK and Europe and people on the right in America um, because they seem to have the same message. 
Um, hopefully, we can talk about that in a bit. Yeah. But that speech was was just just grim. It was disgusting, wasn't it? As Jack said, it was. Mm. But he didn't say anything. There was no actual plans. Nothing. It was just awful. There's a lot of nervousness about Transnistria and Moldova now. Uh, I I don't know oh, what's man. going on there enough. I don't feel confident to, to speculate. <clears throat> um, but does anyone have any thoughts on that? No, I, I can I can tell you about all the crypto labs that are run illegally by the Russians in Transnistria. There possibly was plans to make a sort of like a crypto Switzerland going from Donbass round through Odessa and into Transnistria. But and I don't know if you remember. Lukashenko with his famous pointy map with all the yeah. arrows going into Romania and Moldova. Do you remember that? It so, looked like uh, he completely uh, ripped off Dad's army. And also put all the battle plans on online, basically. And uh, But, oh, God. And But you can see that that was the direction they were going in. But it just was an absolute disaster, wasn't it? Thankfully. Thankfully, because it could have been a lot worse. What wasn't a disaster, though, and this is the last news thing I want to talk about, was Biden's visit, obviously. Th- those photos, like the memes, they're just they're too good. He ha- Biden has no right to look that cool. You know, like, I thought he was like the most milk, he'd be the most milk toast average president ever. Um, and <coughs> he just looks so cool. And I was like, what? This isn't right. <laughs> well, I think most people would look cool wearing aviator sunglasses, getting off Air Force One or Rail Force One or whatever. But, um, yeah, he is amazing, isn't he? How we, he he's managed to keep it together for a year. The the allies, as we should call them now, I guess, and he's kept it together, uh, and it's amazing despite everything that's going on in America. Amazing guy. I think that you've kind of hit the nail on the head there, Matt. In that you know, it is amazing how he's kept the allies together, as well as, and obviously, I know this is probably going to be a topic for another day, but to very quickly touch on it, the insanity of Marjorie Taylor Greene calling for a civil war 2.0, which I think not only plays into Russia's hands, but I wouldn't be shocked if it turns out that is something from the Kremlin. Uh, No, that that 100% is. I've seen so many Russian, Chinese and Iranian trolls posting maps of America with Texas dropped off. Um, And it has been going on for nine months now since i started on mm. nafo it's designed to say oh yeah look, if texas can leave america where you know that means that the donbass can leave ukraine and it's all designed to sort of blur the lines and blur the lines around legality of states leaving um you can see it's exactly i can see exactly what it's about and it's so mm. blatant and so obvious that as soon as she posted that <laughs> then that was a that was a massive red flag um, she should be ashamed of herself, but there you go. Oh, you, you need to have uh, decency to feel shame, and uh, I don't think she has any decency, so she won't feel shame. Okay, fair enough. I just don't understand these people. Like the, the rhetoric they come out with just doesn't it just make no sense to me. I mean, no propaganda does, and it's like, but Marjorie Greene and these people, you know, they're always tweeting stuff like Trump has given so much to this country or like they're doing this thing now with Ohio because he turned up with a crate of water or something. And they're like, oh, he's done something, but Biden went to Kiev. But okay, you can criticize the US government for many things. I myself have and will. But what? Like, I'm sorry, like, you know, that's just turning with a bottle of water is is not really helping as compared Mm. to, you know, going to help your ally and Europe and democracy 
fight off Russia. I just they they know it's nonsense. They just spin it out, don't they? Until you think it's normal, I suppose. No, hundred percent agree. Vatnik copium memes, jokes, and the most ridiculous things that we have seen recently, because it's one of my favourite subjects. Is mad conspiracy theories and just the horrendous things that they say. And so I'm just going to try and think about the, the the most absurd claims I've seen today. Is that somebody has come back on Twitter saying they started the bio labs conspiracy theory a year ago and it's come back and it hasn't gone away and it's, and it's just there and i cannot understand it but it seems to be linked to anti-vax movements and things like that so the fact that they think that america would open up these weird laboratories in ukraine on the other basically on the other side of the world to do weird things is just i just can't believe it why would they do that next to the russian border <laughs> I, yeah. It's just, it's off the charts, insane. Um, I love it as well when they go, look, there are bio labs. Like, yes, biological laboratories. Like, that's there's going to be one probably in your way, in wherever you live as well. It's it, it could be the man with some trees, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, they they were all over the UK because they were testing for COVID. <laughs> you know, right. uh, oh, it's absolutely. I, I just and it never goes away. It never goes away, and. I've also had a chat with um, somebody from the BBC and picking up on anti-Semitism and Nazis in Ukraine. That never goes away. That's just always there. And no matter how many times you report it, it never gets cleared up. So that's 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 what I've seen this week is biolabs and Nazis. It's just mm-hmm. classic, classic conspiracy theories. Um so that's that's the copium and the conspiracy theory is done, isn't it? Because they're just desperately trying to smear and make it look as if it's Ukraine's fault that they were murdered and invaded. It's just it's just awful, absolutely awful. Um, but thanks to Seymour Hirsch, my favourite memes are coming back as well, which is brilliant. All the NAFO pipeline memes. They are the best. I, if you haven't found them, then just go and search for the NAFO pipeline memes. Joe, there's Joe Biden in a diving suit with a chainsaw. There's a, there's, yeah, yeah. There's a fella <laughs> with dynamite blowing it up. There's what he's got a handsaw. There's a NAFO clownfish. Um, it's just absolutely brilliant. It's it's my favourite sort of sub subgroup of NAFO memes. I just absolutely love it. Um, there's one with a fella on a sunbed, I don't know, on a lilo on top of the Nord Stream oh, explosion. Oh. It's just, there's just that line and you can follow the story through in just in the memes. And I absolutely love it. And I also love it because no one cares. They post this stuff going, oh my God, it's a disaster. You know, Biden blew up the pipeline. No, he didn't. But Biden blew it up. And no matter how much rubbish they put out, everyone just goes, oh, well. And it's just yeah. brilliant. I, I do wonder what's coming up, what, whether we'll ever get to the bottom of that one. Um, I, I'm sure the answer is very boring because uh, boring answers tend to be. Yeah. 
Um, but it, the fact is, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, really. It's just one of those things you go, oh, well, never mind. Germany's got its gas from America or wherever. Such yeah. a shame. It's Russia's fault. Oh, well. And then move on. And then you can see the them see they're just seething you know the steam's coming out of their ears because no one's listening to their rubbish my copium of the week is i'm possibly cheating here because i've chosen michael tracy but it's just it's just his tweet yeah it was one yesterday it's just okay i'll read it out i don't really know how michael tracy sounds i've only heard him scream but okay i will try my best michael tracy impression here and read it out so most rhetoric about the ukraine war over the past year can be understood as one long fevered attempt to imbue the conflict with confabulated ideological and metaphysical dimensions transforming a localized inter-slavic dispute into a cosmic global showdown between good and evil i have no idea what that means he's literally what? just found a thesaurus <laughs> <laughs> that's actually mad that is absolutely crazy i don't um, know who likes michael tracy i don't know who his audience is i don't understand the point of him <laughs> he's even he's even started arguing with his fellow nutters hasn't he no. jackson hinkle and yes various other people that was that was brilliant so that they're arguing about who's the most pc who's the most peacenik and it's just Oh. Jack, have you just... got any copium? I, I suppose in a way it's a copium. It's more how stupid this tanky outlet has posted an image. Uh, it's everyone's best friends stop the war. Um, mm-hmm. And they've posted... It's just my stupid brain. But they've posted um, an image of all the speakers... Coming up, coming up on um, the twenty fifth, and it just looks like it, the image they've posted just looks like a really shit game of guess who, <laughs> because they put all the speakers on there, and I'm looking at it going, well, oh, well, they're they're a crank, they're a crank, they're a crank, they're a crank. It's like, oh, I've got none of these here. It's just awful. Just. I guess my copium is just the entire organisation of Stop the War, <laughs> because at, at no point have they ever made, in my opinion at least, they've never made a legitimate point. <laughs> they've right. never had like a reason to exist. Have they ever stopped a war? No. 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 But they won the We're... argument, Matthew. Oh, <laughs> um, I was just I was having a look at copium and. I would just like to say that I've just picked something up on Twitter. Um, there's a there's a chap called Eno Lenza. Um, he's in Germany and in Berlin, and he's the guy who put the tank outside of um, mm. the Berlin outside of the Russian embassy in Berlin. Um, you should go and look on his Twitter page because the tank outside the Russian embassy in Berlin now has a very fine giant fella sticking out the top. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and I wish you guys could see it on the podcast, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll retweet it. We'll retweet it off the fella. (laughs) They can Google. Yeah. We'll retweet it. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I'll do that. I'll do that now.
Okay, so we're going to move on to the next part of the podcast. This is going to be talking a bit about NAFO and what political movements can learn from this approach. And then later we're going to get really into the depths about the left in Ukraine, as promised in the start. Okay, so first of all, just Jack, why did you join NAFO? When did you join NAFO, actually? I, I'll do it in reverse order. Uh, I joined NAFO in, it would have been the June of 2022 so it was a few months after the uh, initial fascist invasion i joined because of the fact that i could see i had no idea what these cartoon dogs were about <laughs> but i could see they were raising money for ukraine and i thought well that's a good cause i'm gonna join it so i did that and when i saw then it was like you can have a fella made and you can have your own identity in this movement. I was like, okay, all right. So initially it was like, yeah, I'll just have like a Welsh fella. I want to show like where we stand with Ukraine. And then as time went on, it was like, oh my goodness, like I've not only joined NAFO, it feels like I've completely immersed myself <laughs> in <laughs> NAFO. And it got to the point where discreetly of course i was telling co-workers about how they could join the fight as a cartoon dog <laughs> and they were looking at me as if they were as if they were like are you okay jack what do you mean cartoon dogs what are you talking about so i was trying to recruit people but yeah i, I joined because it was that solidarity and it was that not a family feeling, but it definitely felt as if there was a unit here across the world that is fighting against uh, totalitarianism. And I thought, I've got to be a part of this. Mm -hmm. Can I? I'm going to inter interrupt there and say this is what I don't understand about some of the people we're probably going to talk about later, I guess, is that for the probably for maybe the first time there is a genuine bottom-up grassroots movement that's not funded by anybody and it's just people being constructive coming together to help other people and there are people who have spent their entire lives trying to create that movement and now they are attacking it or trying to do it down or telling lies about it or and i can't process because i i have left center left i would guess in the uk views and i can't process it i find it impossible to understand i'm hoping that i'm going to learn something about why these people can't see yeah. the positive things that are going on and it's just uh, to me it's a bit heartbreaking actually <laughs> <laughs> but we'll we'll see we'll see and i'm hoping to learn things yeah we should touch on why they want to attack it a little bit later but I, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, yeah. from what i see from the, in brief I, I i think it's it's how they perceive the world and i don't think they can really conceive of a genuine grassroots movement even though that's what they want to talk about and i think they just i don't know if it's about they don't have the aims or they don't believe it's real or yeah, it, it, I agree. It's exasperating. It's it, this is what you've been wanting the whole time, and it, like you say, we'll go into it later. I, I actually have a theory on why so many leftists in the West, but particularly focusing on Britain, why they hold the views they do. But 
I'm going to leave that as a surprise for later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so how does NATO differ from other political movements in your experience? I mean, you just touched on it. You know, it's genuinely grassroots, uncoordinated. But is there anything else you'd like to add? I suppose, really, unlike other political movements, it doesn't feel like there's this underlying false motive. So mm -hmm. to compare it, for example, in Britain to Momentum, which supported Jeremy Corbyn in 2017, 2019, the, the argument put out from them was we are here for democratic socialism, we are here to push for a fairer Britain. It was all this great marketing. But when you actually broke it down, they were also doing things like denying, they were refusing to take accountability for their leaders' failures. They refused to take accountability for their leaders' failures and for the failures of their own movement. It felt as if it became not a push for democratic socialism, but a push for momentum and to put the actual group itself at the forefront. Whereas NAFO, it's such a diverse group of views, as we were discussing earlier. It feels as if, obviously, you're going to find like the occasional person that joins for clout. And you've got to find the occasional person that joins for the followers. But the movement as a whole is for Ukraine. It's for democracy. And it doesn't feel like, and it, it, not just it doesn't feel, it just isn't this thing that is corrupted. It isn't this movement that places ego above goal. It's genuinely a bottom-up grassroots movement to fight against totalitarianism. And for me, that is what the left should strive to support. That is what it always should be. Democracy, anti-authoritarian. And for me, yes, okay, you have conservatives, libertarians, you have liberals in there. For one, that creates a perfect popular front. But two, it's the perfect, the perfect group for the left because it encompasses all our views. It's what we want, and I don't, I don't understand why the leftists don't don't support it. But for me, that is why I do. Yeah, because something I've noticed is what I also like about NAFO. Like generally, even the people who have views different to mine, like maybe the more right wing than me or whatever, I still find them. I would describe them as reasonable people. I I, I find mm. them they have good intentions. Still, they're, they're you know the people. Okay, we might disagree on. Oh, I don't know. Um, the role of unions in society, or we might disagree on taxation, or mm. I don't know, whatever. But like, I gen these aren't generally far right Nazi and your people. You know, these these are people that we we can put aside these other differences and find the common ground, which is generally a belief in self determination, in freedom, and things like this. And yeah, okay, we're going to disagree on things, but I think it does attract the best aspects of both the left and the right, in my experience, in my opinion, anyway. Of course, there's some individuals who I see every now and again I disagree with and I mute them or whatever. Or, mm. or sometimes I still follow them because I like also it being exposed to alternative views. I'd, I'd like to know what other people are thinking. I, I don't want to live in an echo chamber of everyone who thinks like me. That would be boring. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I generally, generally that's it. I think that you've got a unity among 
good people of all sides. Uh, oh, it sounds a bit like Trump. Like good people on both sides. That's not what I mean. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think so. And you know, and the, the left movement in the UK, as you're saying, a lot of the time there is this idea we need to reach out to people who are perhaps a little bit more conservative than us, or perhaps are from a different background to us. And yet they tend to focus on echo chambers. And here we have a movement where there is people coming together and they're like, no, 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 no. What is wrong with you? This is what you want. No, this is a chance for you to show your views to a receptive audience. No. (laughs) Well, exactly. Completely agree. And there was a point you made in there. And this is where my memory completely goes because I have really bad short-term memory. (laughs) Um, But you were talking about how NAFO essentially is this... um, how there's going to be people you disagree with and how they could be a bit more right-wing than yourself. I think this is showing how the dichotomy, the political dichotomy of the world is not left versus right. It's liberal versus authoritarian. And I think we're seeing that in NATO because there are people we disagree with on a lot of issues, but the fundamental core issue, as you say, of self-determination, human rights, we agree on. And that is ultimately a very liberal perspective because you are giving each individual the right to make their own life, whereas authoritarian individuals who might be opposed to NATO see it more as, well, no, because if you have individualism, it can lead to corruption, which, you know, to be fair, you'll always have not nice people in a democracy doesn't mean you get rid of democracy. I think you're absolutely right, though. It is it's 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 the people who value individual freedom, as opposed to authoritarians of both stripes, who have some idea that Russia or something is some form of ideal society. I, I guess whether it's because they romanticise the USSR still, or whether they because they 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 think that there's some sort of strong traditional society both of which are just nonsense but you know uh, that seems to be what they, they go for yeah matt so yeah do you have anything to add matt yeah i was just uh in so yeah it, it's the lack of if we're talking about how it's different it's the lack of leadership isn't it there are, there's just so many movements at the moment that are focused on sort of the big guy trump corbyn whoever it is boris johnson on, on all sides and this is the first one where there isn't anything like that. And it's just, uh, it's quite, it, I, I'm just so uh, proud to be part of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in And it's just absolutely brilliant. And I struggle to understand, I think probably because I've just been so, I'm just so wedded to it and bought into it emotionally that it's an amazing thing that all these people come together, that I struggle to understand why people don't like it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just, I honestly can't process it. And it's, it's a, and I think, why, why do you not get, why do you not get this? Are you being, are you being paid not to get it? Are you not, do you completely disagree with working together and sort of telling the truth and fighting against lies and invasions and, and it's, uh, it's, it's just one of those, cognitive dissonance things isn't it where you just go what is going on and the more the more i learn the more complex it gets doesn't it and that's the way it works um and it's just really interesting doing these podcasts what can we what can other p- 
people learn from us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what can what can we all what can other movements learn? I mean, so, I would say personally, um, I think one thing is find, being able to find ways to reach out across political views. I think that's a good thing uh, to find a, something to unify you rather than to have to narrow an appeal. Um, I think that that's something that people can live on Nafo. No, definitely. I, I agree with that. I think I think you can definitely and, and this for me personally has been something I've struggled with when I was younger, I would say because of ideological purity. So to put my cards on the table here fully. I've discussed this on Twitter, I'll make it very quick. Uh, I used to be a tanky. I mm-hmm. used to be somebody that fully bought into the far left Stalinist idea of anybody that is not of my movement is against me. And if they claim to be my ally, it's because they want to betray me. And I bought into that for years. And I think this, well, not years, I would say it was, it was in the background for a while, but I've really bought into it over the period of a year between 2020 and beginning of 2021. And I would say NAFO has really done a good job of taking that worldview and dismantling it. And as have many other political movements, um, you know, popular fronts exist because of the desire and the need to come together. You know, it spits in the face of Stalinism, which quite frankly is good. And I think really that is the lesson a lot of people can take away from NAFO is we have our memes and we have our funny dog photos, but ultimately it defies the logic put forward by a lot of the authoritarian left, the Stalinists, and it shows that logic is not rooted in truth. It's not rooted in reality. It's rooted in ideological bias. And you've got to let go of the bias to actually realize there are good people on either side of the aisle that want to work together and you should work with them. That's my view. That, that's my, that's what I've taken away from NAFO at the very least is learning to kind of give myself to other views and, re- and recognize that my view is not the my view is not the dominant view my view is not the morally justified view because in the eyes of someone else who might have separate views to me my views might be kooky you know they might be seen as this lefty dippy shitty sort of view but nafo because it brings people together regardless of your view I was literally having a discussion actually uh, last week on Twitter with with a fella who said he can't stand socialism, and it was because for him socialism had always been tied to Stalinism, which is understandable. But it wasn't until meeting myself and other moderately left and some not so moderately left fellas that he realized it's okay to say 
actually, I'm friends with some socialists, or from my perspective, it's okay to say I'm friends with conservatives, I'm friends with libertarians, because we have the same core beliefs and values. And I think that is the beauty of NAFO, is that it's really brought down those barriers. I think that's a really good point. It's a really beautiful point. Um, yeah. And effectively, this is oh, this is a whole topic that I think that actually I was recently writing about just for myself. It's this concept of a consensus, which is quite prominent in some like liberal theory, like political theory, basically mm. the idea that different reasonable people, regardless of the conception of the good, you know, they all come to they will have disagreements within a like a just society, but that you know, everyone still respects certain core values of each other because you know, it kind of it benefits you, the freedoms that allow, say, one person to live a very religious and strict life, it gives also the same freedom to someone to live a very secular and worldly life, as you want to call it. Hmm. And I think this is a this is something we actually see in a micro version in NAFO. It's something I'm actually I want to explore more because I think it's a, it, it gives us it gives us a nice template for how almost a society should be. But that's I think a big topic in and of itself. No, definitely, and I think it's it's a topic I think that should be explored because I, I think it will definitely it will ask a lot of uncomfortable questions to a lot for a lot of people that maybe don't want to don't want to answer them but i think they need to be answered because when you start answering the uncomfortable ideological questions you begin to see the fallacies and you begin to realize maybe life doesn't work how i've been told it works through this ideology yeah it's always been a, a, a shock for me as well even in the uk it's fairly comfortable and then speaking to a lot of people from eastern europe who suffered in the the last century under the USSR and then later on the Russian Federation. It's just been interesting to get that perspective and just see what an absolute disaster it was in the in that period of time for them. And it was just absolutely horrific. And I just think it's massively underplayed in in the UK and in we we hardly learn anything about this at school. Um mm -hmm. And you guys are probably the same in that it's you go Hitler was bad, Second World War Hitler was bad, and then the Cold War thing. These things happened, but there's no discussion, and there's never been a it's like coming to terms with what the Soviet Union has actually done to so many people over the, <clears throat> over the, over the last hundred years, and and I think we're seeing the consequences of that now. And if we can start to bring people together and say you know this this has happened and it's absolutely horrific and you need to understand why that has happened and try and do something about it rather than saying oh it's just not the right sort of whatever your political view is we need to try it again but harder <laughs> and it, it's been a, a massive eye-opener for me it really has and yeah. it, it, it's just highlighted how wrong we've been, how wrong we got our history lessons over the last 50, 60 years, really. And I don't know what you guys think about that. I think, in, especially on the, the the far left, then there's this Stalinist tendency, isn't there? And it just, people don't want it. They don't want it. They don't want it. They've lived, they've actually lived in a society with that and they don't want it. And you need to come to terms with that. <laughs> and I don't know how to do that. 
and it's interesting and maybe we can talk about that in part three hey y'all bingo here thank you very much for listening to this episode of the unofficial nafo podcast i appreciate your willingness to listen and to join in if you have any feedback always find us at twitter at fellas with an s fellas think tank where we are sitting in our tank i am particularly sitting in an igloo tank it is very comfortable please join us next week for part two of this discussion with jack until then slava ukraina